Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willett. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. We just praise your name this morning. We thank you, Father God, for this great nation that we get to be a part of. We just thank you, Lord, for this nation that was founded on Christianity, was founded on your word. And we just ask that you protect, God, what our, our forefathers intended. And we just are excited for what you have for us today. And we just put your hand on your heart, if you would. And just say this, just say, Holy Spirit, come. I welcome you today. Speak to my heart. I just thank you. I just pray for an anointing on this word that breaks every yoke of bondage. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to start in Psalm 133. And I think we have it for the screens. I'm going to read the first three verses. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to live together in unity. And I'll add sisters to that too, brothers and sisters. It's like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, as on Aaron's beard, the oil which ran down upon the edges of his robe. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for the Lord commanded the blessing there, life forever. So this message today is called anointing, and godly community, anointing and godly community. So this is, it's an interesting verse because it talks about godly community and anointing in the same passage. And it makes a comparison of us living together in unity and God's anointing flowing from heaven. So I believe that when we live together in unity, there's a commanded blessing on us. At the end of that passage, it says, for the Lord God commanded the blessing there. So when we're living together in unity, whether it's in our, our family, our, our small family, there's a commanded blessing from the Lord on that. If we're living together in this community in unity. There's a commanded blessing on that. That's why even what our, our forefathers established with our nation being built on Christianity, there was a commanded blessing upon our nation. And so I believe that when we live together in unity, that God's blessing is, is upon us. And I love that, that phrase. It's a commanded blessing. It's like you can, we can put some faith in that. It's like, wow, God's commanded the blessing on us. So there's a connection between us coming together in unity and God's anointing. And I also believe that when we're in healthy community with one another, it causes God's anointing to increase in each one of our life. And I've seen this so much. I've seen a lot of times a trap of the enemy is to get anointed people kind of offended from Christian community because if we can get them away from healthy community, it lessens their anointing. But I've seen these people, when they get over their offense and they, and they come back into community, their anointing just all of a sudden just springs up again. Amen. So what is anointing? I don't think I've ever talked about anointing at length. I don't think I've ever taught about that. And the word anointing, it just means this, to smear or to spread liquid. So I could just take this water bottle and just go dump it over someone, and I could technically that would be that I just anointed them. Or I could throw a water balloon at somebody, and I could say that I anointed them, because that's, that's what it means, to smear, to spread liquid. But when we talk about anointing people in a spiritual sense, now we're talking about consecration. 
And the word consecration means God preparing you and empowering you for a particular purpose. So God has anointed you and he has empowered you for a particular purpose. Each person in this place, you've been anointed and you've been empowered by God for a particular purpose. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. I believe we have this for the screens. So the context here is um, God tells the prophet Samuel to go to Jesse's house and anoint the next king of Israel. And Samuel, is, is, he's the prophet of Israel. He's be highly respected and even feared. And so he goes off to Jesse's house. And interesting thing about Jesse is Jesse is actually the grandson of, of Boaz and Ruth. He's actually the grandson of Boaz and Ruth. Of course, Boaz and Ruth and, and Jesse and David are all in the direct line of, of Christ. So Samuel goes to the prophet, or prophet Samuel goes to Jesse's home. And he's looking to anoint the next king of Israel. And he comes in and he sees this tall, handsome man. And he's like, oh, that's got to be him. He's just talking to himself. And he's like, well, surely this is God's anointed. And God says, I've rejected him. God doesn't look at the outward appearance as man does. God looks at the heart. And so all of Jesse's sons come before Samuel. And each one is like, no, this is not the one. No. No, no, all the way down the line. This is not the one. And they get through all the seven sons that are there. And uh, Samuel says, is this all your sons? And they're like, well, there's, there's one more. He's out tending the sheep. Now, there's a lot of reasons that David could have been left out. We, have to, we don't really know exactly why. Um, some people think he was left out because his father was actually ashamed of him. Because there's some people believe that he actually might have had a different mother than the rest of the sons. Some people think he might have been left out just because... He was just an afterthought. He was the runt, and, and he was just like, you know, it couldn't be David. It, he's too insignificant. Or he could have just been left out because his job was to tend the sheep, and he was out doing his job. But he was left out. So finally, David comes in, and God says, this is the man. Anoint this man. So that's, that's where we're at. Let's pick that up. First Samuel 16. Verse 12 says, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. So now God's anointing is upon David. And I want to tell you this morning, God's anointing is upon you. God's anointing is upon you, and it's a consecration that he's actually called you to do something, and he's empowered you to do something. So it's important that we figure out what is it that we were set apart to do? What is it that we're anointed to do? So now God's anointing is on David, and I just love that, that passage where it says, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Thank you, Jesus. So shortly after the entire nation of Israel is being intimidated by one man named Goliath. But David has been anointed by God. And so the entire nation of, of Israel, they're, they're afraid of this one man, including King Saul. And it's the reason why 
God, David's anointed. It's the reason why he shows up on the battlefield. And to me, it's almost funny when you read the story because David shows up with a completely different perspective. Everyone's afraid. Everyone's terrified of this one man. David shows up and he kind of doesn't get it. He's kind of like, who's going to go kill this fool? Why is someone not went and killed him yet? Because everybody else sees a giant. David sees a man coming against God. He's like, somebody go kill this guy. He's talking against God. This is almost funny to him. He's like, who's, who's going to kill this guy? And finally, it, it dawns on David. He's like, I think I've been anointed to do this, to actually go and kill this giant. So David shows up in the battlefield where Goliath has been taunting and intimidating all of Israel, and he doesn't really understand why no one will, will fight him. And a spirit of intimidation is over Israel. And he finally puts two and two together, and he realizes, I, I think I'm anointed to kill Goliath. So I want to submit to you that if you see a situation and you don't know why anything, anyone's doing anything about it, it might be because you're the one that's supposed to do something about it. David shows up and he sees this situation. He's like, why isn't someone doing something? And then it, eventually it dawns on him. I think I'm supposed to do it. So if you see a situation in your life and you're like, why? Somebody should step in. Somebody should do something. Somebody should raise up something. Maybe it's you that God's anointed to do that, especially when it seems obvious to you, but it's not obvious to anybody else. It wasn't obvious to anybody else that this guy was going down, but it was obvious to David. David is like, this guy has no chance. He's coming against God. So I want to give you one more verse. Exodus 30, 30 says, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so that they may serve as priests to me. So David was anointed to go Goliath and to become the next king of Israel. And Aaron was anointed to serve as a priest before God. And I want to ask you today, what has God anointed you to do? What has God anointed you to do? There's something special about you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Something special about you. And God has given you an anointing for a purpose. One of the beautiful things about godly community is that it's a place where we can help pull out the gold in one, of an, one another. In fact, it should be the main place, you know, great companies get this. Great companies, they're like trying to find what's special about each person and, and pull it out of them. But we should be the very first hub of that. That should be happening in this community that we're actually looking for gold in each other. We're not judging each other. We're not criticizing one another, but we're looking for the gold. We're looking for what anointing has God placed in your life. And I want to see that come out of you. So that's one of the things that's very beautiful about godly community, healthy godly community. I love this quote. It's, uh, I heard Chris Vallotton say this. He says, I want friends who pour gasoline on the fire of my dreams and passions, and they'll pour water on my fears. Let me say it again. I want friends who pour gasoline on the fire of my dreams and passions and will pour water on my fears. This is a place where we want to extinguish fear and ignite passions. We're, we live in a world where we're being bombarded with, all, with fear, with um, doubt, with the antichrist spirit. And this should be the one place where we come in and we're, it, we're seeing fears get drowned and we're seeing passions ignited. 
and we're seeing people light up so that we can be the light of the world and go into the world and carry Christ. So what has God anointed you to do? The thing is, God knows what he's anointed you to do, but so does the enemy. So if you're facing opposition in your life, it's not always a sign that you're doing the wrong thing. David looked at Goliath, and instead of seeing a roadblock, he saw a roadway to the palace. He didn't see a roadblock. He saw a roadway. In fact, they said, whoever kills Goliath is going to be able to marry the king's daughter and is going to be in the palace. And he's like, wait, that's just, that was what was just, I was just anointed to be in the palace to be the next king of Israel. There, here's my doorway. <laughs> he sees a doorway into the palace. He didn't see a roadblock. Everybody else saw a roadblock. What are we going to do? David saw it differently. So the opposition you're facing just might be a roadway to your destiny. A roadway to your destiny might be masquerading as a roadblock that you can't get past. Here's the funny thing. Goliath actually helped put David in the palace a lot sooner than if he hadn't faced him. He is instantly put in place where he was supposed to be after he faced Goliath. Here's the king's daughter. Boom, you're in the palace, married to the king's daughter. So I want to read a few verses from Romans chapter 12. And, and you might just want to go there. I didn't give them this for the screens, and we're going to be there for a while. So Romans chapter 12. Okay. We're going to start in verse 2, Romans 12. I'm going to be reading out of the NASB. Verse 2, it says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a scripture that we're probably all familiar with, but I want to key in on this last part of the scripture. It says, So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So as you begin to renew your mind, you will discover the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for your life. As you begin to, to renew your mind, to change your thinking, you're, you're, you're entering in, you'll begin to see the anointing that God's put on your life. And you will discover what he's called you to do. He says, I want you to renew your mind so that you can prove the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Verse four says this, for just as we have many parts in one body and all the parts, uh, I'm sorry, let me read that. For just as we have many parts in one body and all the body's parts do not have the same function. So we have many parts in one body, but all the parts don't have the same function. That should be obvious, but how do I say this in a nice way? In some cultures, that's not obvious. And in some cultures, they try to create everybody to look like a certain thing or everybody to match a certain personality. But we're all different parts. We're not supposed to 
be the same. We're supposed to have different functions. We're not all supposed to be an arm. We need legs. We need all of it. We need the whole body functioning. God is amazing, and he's created each one of us to be completely unique. And in a healthy environment, you get to be you. We need you to be you. We need you to be you. That's the best thing that you can do is be you. We don't want you to be someone else. We need you to be you. We need what God has uniquely put in you. So we need to drop all comparison. And when we compare, we miss the uniqueness that God has put in each person. And when we compare ourselves with someone else, we'll miss the uniqueness God's put in us. So we need to just drop comparison because it actually lessens the uniqueness that we're supposed to see come out of each other and the uniqueness that we're supposed to see in ourselves. When we honor the uniqueness in each other, the body of Christ starts to look really beautiful. When we honor the uniqueness, when I'm trying to see what God's uniquely placed in you and you're in an environment where that can be cultivated and brought it out, the body of Christ gets really powerful. The body of Christ gets really powerful because we're not supposed to be one faceted. We're supposed to be multifaceted and we can all come together and do something amazing. Okay, let's read verse five. It says, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another. Verse five says that we are individually parts of one another. That means that when I honor the anointing that's on uh, your life, I get to receive the blessing of it because we're parts of one another. But if I compare myself to you or if I think I'm better than you in some way, I'll miss it. We are individually parts of one another. So when we honor one another, we get to glean from each other's anointings. Let's read verse 6. It says, however, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each one of us is to use them properly. If prophecy in proportion to one's faith, if service in the act of serving, or the one who teaches in the act of teaching, or the one who exhorts in the work of exhortation, the one who gives with generosity, the one who is in leadership with diligence, the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So these are known as the seven spiritual gifts or sometimes called the seven motivational gifts. And I'll read them again. They're prophetic or perceiver, server, teacher, exhorter, giver, leadership or administrator, and mercy. So how many of you have taken the, the spiritual gifts test? I know a lot of you have because we do it in, uh, in our growth track. So yeah, most of you have. So there's a, there's a reason that we have you take that spiritual gifts test. We want to all become more aware of what God's uniquely created us to do on the planet. And it kind of highlights like what God's created you to do. And so you can be like, oh, this is, this is who I am. I don't have to focus on the things that I'm, I'm not in fact, um, John Maxwell talks about, like, he's the leadership guru, if you don't know who he, who he is, Christian man. And he talks about, like, hey, focus on your strengths. Don't focus on your weaknesses. He's like, 
if, if you're focusing on your weaknesses and you're trying to get better in your weaknesses, he's like, maybe you're a two in your weaknesses. The greatest you're ever going to be is like a three or a four. He's like, focus on your strengths and be a 10 in your strengths and find other people that fill in your weaknesses. This is the beauty of the body of Christ is that we have people that come and fill in those weak spots. We don't have to be everything to everybody. We focus on our strengths. And so that's part of why we have that spiritual gifts test is so you know what you're strong in. We took that spiritual gifts test years ago, probably 10 years ago. Uh, We were at another church and we were leading a a team of uh, a choir and a media team and band. And we had our whole team, which was about 40-ish people, take the spiritual gifts test. And it changed our culture. It changed the whole culture. Um, People like got people that were kind of irritated with each other or all of a sudden were like, oh, oh, they're such a perceiver. (laughs) Oh, that person, they're so mercy. And like, it really did. It wasn't like, uh, that wasn't, it wasn't, uh, how do I say it? It wasn't um, like, uh, words are escaping me right now. (laughs) It was like uh, a genuine thing. It wasn't like, uh, this patronize, that's the word I was looking for. It wasn't a patronizing thing. It was like a genuine thing. Like, wow, I actually understand them more. And it changed the whole culture of our team. And that's when we kind of saw the um, power in this. And that's why we, if you go through uh, growth track here, you'll end up taking that test. So we want to, we want to know what we're strong in. And it's really important to know what we're strong in, but it's equally as important to know what the people around you are strong in. It's equally important to know what the people around you are strong in and to call that out, to fan the flame, to be that person that fans the flame of the passions of those around you and extinguishes the fears. So it's really important in this culture to know who you are, but also to know who the people are around you. You get to be you. You don't have to be anybody else. Amen. So we're individually parts of one another. So I need to honor the gifts inside of you. That's why we don't just want to know who we are, but we want to know who the people around us are because we're parts of one another. And when you honor the gifts in someone else, you get to partake in those gifts. All right, let's read verse 9. We're going to read verse 9 through 13, Romans 12. It says, love must be free of hypocrisy. Detest what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So it talks about being devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one one another in honor. There's always a reward in honoring people around you. There's always a reward in honoring those around you. The Bible talks about blessing behind honor. It says, honor your mother and your father that your days will be long. But I want to submit to you that there's a reward, not just that reward, but that there's a reward in honoring every person around you. There's a scripture, I believe it's in 1 Peter, that says, honor all people. Honor all people. And anytime you give honor to those around you, there's a reward in that.
When you recognize and honor the anointing that's on someone else's life, you get to taste what they bring to the table. You get to take of it, partake, taste of it, and partake of it. So we want to be a community that knows how to honor one another well. Judging someone will cause you to miss the, God, the gifts that God has put in their life. And we can judge for various reasons. Maybe someone's different than us. Maybe they have a different viewpoint. Maybe they see things different than, than us. Maybe, they, uh, maybe we see an issue that they have. But when we judge, we can miss the blessing that's on their life. So here's something interesting. Sometimes hidden inside someone that rubs you the wrong way is the very thing that you've been praying for and asking God for. You guys ever heard that joke where the guy's in the water, he, his, his boat like uh, sunk and he's in the water and he's like, God, would you, would you send, would you rescue me? You guys ever heard that one? And it's like someone comes by and he's like, hey, do you need help? And he's like, no, God's going to save me. Then another boat comes by. Nope, God's going to help me. And then a big, big, huge uh, cruise boat comes by. Hey, do you need help? Nope, God's going to save me. And he, he dies and goes to heaven. And he asks God, God, why didn't you save me? He says, I sent you three boats. So sometimes hidden inside someone around us that maybe irritates us or rubs us the wrong way is the very answer to the prayer we've been praying God's like, I sent you the answer to prayer, but you need to honor them to receive from them. Get past the issue that you have with them. Sometimes we look at someone and we're like, well, they're having an issue in their life and we just, they can't speak into my life because I can see that they have an issue. And when we dishonor someone, we're gonna miss the blessing and the anointing that God's put on their life that just may be the very thing that God's trying to bless you with. Amen? Just might be a test to see, are you going to honor those who God has put you in community with? Or do you only honor those who you deem honorable? Do you only honor those who honor you? Bible says even the sinners do that. That for us would be like unsaved. Like even the unsaved, that's the way the world operates. They'll honor people that honor them. We're supposed to be a step above that. We're called to honor all people. So when we can honor people, even people with issues, even people that irritate us, even people that maybe have some stuff going on, when we can honor them, we can receive from the anointing that God's put on their life. Okay, I'm going to do something I don't do very often. I'm going to recommend a movie. <laughs> It's hard, it's hard to recommend movies because there's so many crazy movies. But my wife and I saw a movie last week that we really enjoyed. It's called, it's actually a true story called 12 Mighty Orphans. And I, I'm going to try not to give too much of it away because I don't want to ruin it. But um, it's about a, a football coach, true story of a football coach in the 1930s who coached high school football. And he moves to a different town and he decides to coach this orphanage, like a uh, high school orphanage team. And the beautiful thing about the movie is he takes these 12 kids that no one sees anything in. Like everybody just sees orphans, losers, 
no potential, no hope. And he takes these, these 12 young boys and he calls out the gold in each one of them. And he sees the potential and he speaks into their life and he calls out the gold. And actually this team, I won't, I won't spoil it, but this team was like nationally known. It was, it was huge what he ended up doing with this team. And it's because one person, instead of seeing castaways, instead of seeing losers, he actually saw the anointings, the gifts that were inside of them, and he called it out of them. And it just shows the power of if you're going to be in a, in a culture, in a community where you're willing to see past the junk and you're willing to call out gold, you're willing to see the anointing that God's put in someone's life, it does amazing things. As the body of Christ, there's nothing we cannot do if we honor one another. If we honor one another and we call out the gifts in each other and we don't dishonor, we don't judge each other, there's nothing we cannot do. The church is meant to be powerful. It's meant to be powerful, but it has to come through honor. It comes through honor. When we honor one another, God does amazing things, and there's nothing that he's limited by. When we honor one another and recognize the gold in each other, there's nothing we can't do as the body of Christ. The enemy wants to get us in comparison the enemy wants to get us into judgment, judging one another, because it stops our impact as the body of Christ. It weakens our effectiveness. We can't lead the way the world leads. We lead in a different way. We, we, we lead through honor. One of the declarations that I speak over myself is this. My faith is not in my ability to speak, but in the anointing that God has put on my life. Your ability is only going to take you so far. Your ability has limits. The anointing of God on your life is limitless. Don't count on your ability to get you where you're supposed to go. I mean, we can do this even in a spiritual sense. Be like, I'm called to do something, you know, for God and try to do it in our own strength. And your ability is going to hit walls. Your ability is not going to take you where God can take you. God's ability is limitless. His anointing will take you where you could never go in your own ability. My faith is not in my ability to speak, but it's in the anointing that God has put on my life. It's not about your ability. Your ability will only take you so far, but the anointing has no limits. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? No, this might have been a shorter message. I just want to do something real quick. Would you just close your eyes? I just want to ask this morning, I want to give, if there's, there's a, several people here that I don't know, I just want to give everybody an opportunity. If, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you can do that right now. If you'd like to give your life to Jesus or if you'd like to rededicate your life, you can do that right now. Jesus Christ came to the earth and he came as a little baby. He came humbly. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a stable. He came humbly to the earth and he did amazing things. He healed the sick. He said, love your enemies. He said, do good to those who persecute you. He showed grace when religion showed judgment. 
He showed grace. But the most important thing he did was he went to the cross and he died on a cross. And when he died on a cross, he took the sin of the entire world. He took all of your sin, all of your shame. He took all of my sin. There's things in my past that I'm ashamed of, but I know that Jesus took all of my sin on that cross and he took all of your sin on that cross. He left no stone unturned so that when you receive Jesus, you become the righteousness of God in Christ. Completely clean, completely washed of all your sin. And after he died on the cross, he rose in three days and he's alive. He's here right now. He's here right now. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock to anyone who will answer to me. I'll come in and I'll dine with them. So if you're here today, you've never accepted Jesus. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Or if you've accepted him, maybe you're young or maybe you need to rededicate your life. You can do that right now. He's knocking at the door of your heart. He says, let me come in. But only you can open that door. He doesn't force his way in. So I just want to give you that opportunity with eyes closed. If you'd like to give your heart to Jesus this morning, if you've never done that, or if you'd like to rededicate your life, just slip up your hand right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to wait just another minute. Yeah, if you'd like to give your heart to Jesus, just slip up your hand right now. Thank you, Jesus. And anybody on the live stream, if you'd like to give your heart to Jesus or rededicate your life, you can do that right now. So we're just going to say this prayer together. Just say, Father God, I thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die for me so that I would have life eternally. So Jesus, I receive you right now. As my Lord and Savior, guide my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.